All right. Hi, everybody. This is a special RCFB Talk. It's RCFB Talk 84. We have a show. We're going to just talk about what's going on right now in coaching. So I'm going to go ahead and let up my co-hosts. We've fired off some tweets, and now let's go ahead and start. So let's see here, J.D. I see you're coming up here. Sirius, I see you're coming up here. And we would like to hear from you and your thoughts on all of this. J.D., you up? Yeah, I'm here and I'm on. Obviously, the big stunner today is uh, Paul Costa getting the $16 million paycheck to leave Wisconsin early. Jim Leonard now going to get the interim role for the rest of the year in what is definitely a surprise. Uh, Wisconsin was definitely not going in the right direction this year, but I don't think anybody could have expected a very early October surprise uh, for the Wisconsin Badgers. And then, of course, Carl Durrell uh, finally uh, leaving Colorado. Uh, I think that's more of a surprise of Colorado was finally ready to cut bait. Uh, they finally found somebody mad enough to actually pay out that buyout. Uh, and then I think maybe the biggest surprise of all is Brian Harson apparently going to coach uh, against Georgia uh, this coming Saturday. Let's see here. I see we already have someone who wants to talk. TJ Morrison, what's up? Hey, guys. I was just uh, going to piggyback off the uh, Paul Christ thing. I mean, I, I, I feel like Jim is the guy they were setting up to, you know, to get in line for the next head coach job with the big 10 trying to get more appealing to get younger with USC and UCLA coming in. I feel like that that's the move. They were setting that up to be, you know, the move it was time. And you no, know, here we are. Paul Christ is gone. And now Jim is Leonard's the guy. So here we are. Yeah, I think one of the other things that's also really intriguing, at least for this change in coaching, is you mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, you had said it was getting younger with like USC and UCLA coming into the Big Ten. I think the thing that's more interesting and probably one of the reasons why Wisconsin decided to move on so quickly is the long term idea that divisions will no longer be a thing in the future Big Ten. I believe it's next year is when the divisions roll off. And if you're a team like a Wisconsin, it's really difficult for you to be able to say, hey, you know what, we're going to be one of the top two every single year competing with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, when we don't have the inherent advantage of, you know, we just got to beat the Big Ten West teams for us to get into the championship game and then maybe a New Year's Six game. I think one of the things that Wisconsin looked at in the long term was especially after the performance that Ohio State had against Wisconsin uh, not too long ago where they put up a huge amount of points on Wisconsin and then obviously, uh, you know, you have Illinois coming up to Camp Randall and holding the Wisconsin Badgers to two yards of rushing offense, which probably that in and of itself was a fireable offense. Uh, I think that's probably the clear thing of why Wisconsin decided, hey, you know what, we're not meeting up to the goals where we want to be, and we're not sure that this is the guy who's going to take us there. Now, is Jim Leonard going to be the guy? I don't know, but now he's going to get probably about seven games or so to try to figure that out for Wisconsin. And I'm going to be very curious to see, you know, especially with the uh, Lance Leopold sweepstakes coming up. He's definitely built something out of Kansas. He's originally from Wisconsin with how many titles that he won at the lower divisions. I think he's going to also be very high up there in terms of uh, potential, uh, you know, targets for Wisconsin to try to hire if they don't decide to go with Leonard full-time. Yeah, just to build off of that, I think Leonard is going to get that kind of, when they let him go so early, my thought was they wanted to see if Leonard was ready to take the reins because he gets seven games. He gets, you know, two reasonable starts. The Badgers are heading to Northwestern, which has obviously been pretty weak this season. 
And then they're going to get Michigan State, which we've already talked about them ad nauseum. But I think there's a desire to have him there. I know there's a push with already. Like when you started looking at the reactions online, I mean, beyond the national reporters, which were all shocked, because certainly Chris being fired, that was the, you know, every coaching cycle is always one where you're like, whoa, where did that one come from? And and I think at least here in October, that's got to be the, the strong candidate for surprise firings. But it seems like Jim Leonard sort of falls into what the Wisconsin seems to like to hire. Because obviously Chris had been there for many, many years. He had played there. You know, Barry Alvarez has been there for many years. They tried that one little flirtation with Gary Anderson. I don't think, I don't know if everyone remembers that. Cause, but I think they decided to kind of go back with someone like a Paul with someone like Paul Christ. And so with Jim Leonard, you're getting somebody who was with the Badgers, played for the Badgers, knows the program, and, and is, you know, someone who seems to be the idea of what they would hope their coach would be like. So I think he's going to get seven games. I think of all the interim head coaches out there, including, you know, Brent Key at Georgia Tech or, <laughs> oh, my goodness, Mike Samford at Colorado, this actually seems to be someone who – I think the program would like to strongly consider as their interim head coach. I think the other two, for example, I just mentioned, if they were to somehow get that role, I think it would be a surprise. But here, I think that would be someone they would consider. Not the only consideration, but it would be a stronger internal candidate than usual. Sirius, I know you wanted to add something. No, I think you all pretty much covered most of the uh, most of the aspects pretty well. You know, bringing it, being able to bring in a defensive coordinator, which <laughs> – not the problem that they had, uh, you know, yesterday against Illinois. That was obviously an offensive issue. You know, like you said, when when Wisconsin puts up two rushing yards for an entire game, then something is obviously broken. So it was nice that they were able to be – they were able to look towards the defensive side of the ball to find an interim head coach who has ties to Wisconsin, who was a walk-on there before he wound up making his way into the NFL. Look at him to lead this program through the rest of the season instead of being stuck, you know – all right, well, we fired the head coach, but <laughs> do we really want to you know, promote the offensive coordinator who was the one responsible for us also still just putting up two, off- two ru- uh, rushing yards against Illinois? So um, kind of a fortunate position for the Badgers. Definitely. You know, they had a better position than Colorado. I think I forgot who set that up, but we, we sent a tweet earlier. I can't claim it. As soon as they had fired Carl Durrell, they were sort of stuck with two bad choices from there offensive and defensive coordinator Colorado just decided to fire the defensive coordinator along with their head coach and at least Mike Sanford for all the weaknesses he's had as an offensive coordinator I mean Minnesota fired him last year and then he was picked up by Colorado at least he has experience running a program before he gets fired which he did at Western Kentucky for two years before they uh before he was shown the door yeah that was a case where you know you got an offensive coordinator who just scored 20 points in the game for the first time all season and is averaging 13 and a defensive coordinator who's allowing 43 points a game. So both bad, one of them probably much, much worse. <laughs> all right. Well, TJ, thanks. It was great hearing from you. And um, Ray, what's up? You, you, we'd love to hear your thoughts right now on what's going on in college football. Hey, what's going on, man? It's been a while. Um, I just have one statement and then one question for the group. So the statement is uh, for Wisconsin situation is two words, Will Muschamp. Number two, um, is there a chance that they can really get enough money to draw Stoops away from Kentucky 
I know the Ole Miss loss looks bad, but it seems like he's got them really on the up and up. Um, yeah, just uh, love to hear everyone's thoughts on that. Well, first and foremost, uh, when you said Will Muschamp, my dog started barking. So I think I'm going to take that as a firm side of no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, but as far as Stoops, uh, we've preached about it before. Um, and again, it's he's got such a fantastic contract at Kentucky, the best situation at Kentucky. And I don't think that's going to be the type of hire that we're going to see from Wisconsin. Uh, again, I think this is largely going to be an opportunity for uh, Jim Leonard to kind of just show off of what he can do when he is the head guy in charge in Madison. And I think if they don't get him, I think they're going to start swinging for the fences for Lance Leopold. I think right now that's about one and two for what you're looking for at the Wisconsin uh, head coaching job situation. Uh, but overall, I think one of the other things that also needs to be looked at is, you know, Jim Leonard on all of these different uh, associated uh, reports that have come out for the Nebraska job. It seems to be it's down to Mickey Joseph, Matt Campbell, um, Lance Leopold, and Jim Leonard as like the four guys who are most likely to get that Nebraska job. And I can guarantee you, if he's already being floated for that job, his agent is floating him for other jobs. I don't know if this is something that Wisconsin felt spooked and thought they were going to lose him, or if they just thought. You know, this is going to be our guy who is the power behind the throne, and we need to make sure that we keep him at all costs. Uh, I would think that's probably the main reason why we're seeing this type of change. Uh, and again, I think just, uh, you know, if you're going down to Will Muschamp as the guy that you're going to hire, several, several things have gone wrong. You know, I, I just want to, and I'm saying this for the record completely facetiously, I, I, I think it would be hilarious if Deion Sanders somehow ended up at Wisconsin. That would be like, <laughs> that would be the most unexpected hire in the year because I, you keep seeing him being touted as now Georgia Tech. That might make more sense, you know, because that's obviously another thing in play. I mean, it's, it's wild to think there's, you know, two Big Ten and two Pac-12 positions open because obviously Nebraska came open early. You have Wisconsin. And then you have Colorado and Arizona State in the Pac-12. Certainly the Big Ten's more desirable because they can pay more. You can't help but talk about Mel Tucker, you know, is a great example of why, for example, Colorado's going to have a much harder time getting a good candidate. They're going to have to probably try someone a little bit a little bit untried, I, I, I guess. You know, they, are, as they, they lost Mel Tucker because Michigan State could essentially double his salary. So Wisconsin should have more of an opportunity if it wants to get into a, a battle on that. But seriously, I know you, you wanted to talk about Muschamp. Yeah, all I have to say is that um, if you're looking for a potential head coach for Wisconsin, picking the guy who is notorious for only taking two offensive linemen in an entire signing class at Florida is probably not going to be the guy to do it um, for a program that just fired their head coach for putting up two rushing yards you know, against Illinois. And we, we have to acknowledge how, how kind of coincidental it is that Bielema was the one to end Chris's tenure one win away from tying him as the second winningest coach in Badger's history. They were one game apart in terms of total wins, and that was it. That was the game. <laughs> JD, I know you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the very curious things to see is Brett Bielema, again, not just in the Big Ten West, but in the Big Ten West and thriving. Again, I think a lot of an absolute coup it was 
uh, way back in the day, I think it was about 2012 or so, when Arkansas uh, convinced him to come out of Wisconsin and play in the SEC uh, because he had taken Wisconsin to three consecutive Rose Bowls, a couple shares of Big Ten titles. Uh, he's the second winningest coach of all time uh, at uh, Wisconsin, uh, right behind Barry Alvarez, who was his boss for quite a while. Um, but I think one of the interesting things that we're probably going to see, but I don't see actually happening is I think we're going to start seeing a couple of people going, you know, what about a reunion trying a 2.0 with Bielema? Because obviously Bielema wasn't fired. There's a lot of good, happy memories with Bielema and Wisconsin from way back when, uh, obviously a lot of winning happened at Wisconsin under his helm and to see him taking Illinois and be- making them become competitors again in the big 10 West. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the guy, uh, by, obviously by any means, the guy has a, uh, you know, Iowa uh, tattoo on his leg. Confident he's going to be one of the first calls uh, if and when Kirk Ferentz eventually uh, steps down from the Iowa program. Uh, but overall, I think we're going to start seeing those narratives. And I'm going to be very curious to see from the Wisconsin fan base how they would react to something like that. You know, I just have to say, I don't, gosh. You know, I wonder how much his wife, Jen Billimo, would be welcome back, though, because I still remember the karma tweet during. Wisconsin, that super central Arizona State, which of course now is also in play for a head coach. Yeah, I don't know if he if he can go back there. I have a sense that may not that they may not work for for various reasons. But Ray, was there another thing you wanted? That or was that the question? I remember you said you wanted a statement and a question. No, the statement was Will Muschamp. I just think it's funny. I I like when cameras are on him. So uh, any any Power Five team that's going to hire him as a head coach, I'm. But no, that was that was it. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Ray. It was great hearing from you. So, Will, Will Schaefer, we'd love to hear from you. Mute's in the bottom left, and sometimes a thing that always likes to act funny. So, the Mike Monster, as we've nicknamed it, will will cause people to not be able to come through. So, no problem. And if anyone else, if you have thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. There's now, oh gosh, six FBS programs open. We've got Arizona State, Colorado, Georgia Tech, Nebraska, UAB, and Wisconsin has joined the show, so to speak. So we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on that. You know what? Uh, Mountaineer Messiah, we'd love to hear from you as well. We just let you up. Uh, let me get a sec to talk. I'm just curious about with everything with coaches changing and stuff. Uh, longtime Mountaineer fan and alum, Neil Brown, um, great guy. Um, just the old culture, everything is great um, at WVU, but winning is what matters most. And I'm just curious as to um, – you know, the extension that Shane Lyons gave him, uh, I think it was a year ago, that seems to be the big bug now as to with the bad loss, very bad loss we had last night. Prayers up to C.J. Donaldson. He'll be back, hopefully. But I'm just curious as to, um, it seems like Neil's just, maybe because he's such a nice guy, is immune to, you know, not being fired like many of these coaches around. And I do know WVU is not a traditional blue blood, but we are a, you know, prideful winning program, and I'm just curious as to with Leonard taking over at Wisconsin, Graham Harrell, you know, he's an up-and-coming great uh, coordinator, and I'm thinking maybe pass the reins to him and see if he could take over and kind of jumpstart just like Dana Holgerson, who was also a coordinator at Oklahoma State, took over. Thanks, guys. Well, first and foremost, to the uh, Neil Brown question, I think one of the big things for that has always been, you know, they thought, you know, Dana Holgerson left this program and he left it in disarray. We're going to see if he can commit to the rebuild. Uh, And obviously, like for this year, uh, the loss to Pitt to start the year stings. You do get a win in another rivalry when you win the diamond game against Virginia Tech. Uh, But last night against uh, Texas, I mean, that was a game where Texas 
started right out of the gates and had control the entire time uh, against West Virginia. And I think uh, we had retweeted, uh, you know, uh, Shihan uh, Jayaraja, a friend of the program, uh, where he was tweeting, you know, someone has to be, you know, the last team in the Big 12. And it kind of looks like consensus, like it's going to be West Virginia this year, just if anything else by default. Uh, this has definitely been a program that's been, especially seeing how Neil Brown was able to build up Troy and he pulled off upsets against LSU. And he's just yet to have that type of full success at West Virginia. Uh, you know, they've made it to a bowl game, but if you're West Virginia, you want to be able to say, like, you know what, we'd like to see eight wins, nine wins in a year. We're in year three now, and we're not seeing any of those signs that we're going to start getting to that. I'm going to be curious to see if West Virginia does decide to get on the coaching carousel, uh, because it kind of seems like a little bit of an inevitability uh, as the season goes on, that if Neil Brown can't get it to a bowl game, it kind of seems like he's going to be on his way out as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. And I think the big thing that, you know, the big, I guess, elephant in the room everyone talked about is the whole realignment back when it started. And, you know, I was grateful that the Big 12 took us because we were pretty much going to be like last man out. But now it seems, you know, fast forward now, we've been in the league about, I think, 13 years now. And even though we have Cincinnati and stuff coming in and Houston, which Cincinnati may be a great rivalry that we had in the old Big East, I still feel like the ACC, for whatever reason, academics, whatever you want to say, and that's kind of, you know, to, to everyone's um, thoughts, I do think the ACC, you can see with the Virginia Tech game and the Pitt game, that's where West Virginia should be at, even with Maryland and stuff um, and those rivalries we had that are trying to renew again. That's where West Virginia belongs in, and I think that does affect us greatly in terms of, you know, we're the odd man out in the Big 12, no matter how you slice it, and I think that has definitely given us or affected us to the point now where it's hurting us traditionally as a brand, which it might not be a big brand like Ohio State and Penn State, but the flying WVU is, you know, synonymous. Everyone knows what it is, and it just seems like we're just crippling now and we're just going deeper and deeper into a hole. I absolutely agree with you about it. I mean, branding is such an odd thing to talk about when we're talking about college football, but that flying, yeah, is that, that logo is one of the best in college sports in my mind, and I have zero ties to the program. But just kind of going back, who, if you, if West Virginia does the same from Neil Brown, who do you think might be an outside candidate that you would think would be viable? Um, I mean, a lot of names have been tossed around on different podcasts I listen to for West Virginia, but the one name that's come up surprisingly to me, and it feels like, you know, it's time for second chances, Hugh Freeze at Liberty. Everyone feels like he does deserve a second chance, and maybe, you know, we bring him in, and that might get things kicked and get things going, because he was great when he was at Old Miss, but he does have the whole baggage coming with him, too, so I think that's what everyone's a little bit leery about, to bring him in, and other than that, the person I like the most is, I used to live in Myrtle Beach, and, uh, Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina, they basically took off right after my family moved from Myrtle Beach to Charlotte area, and they've been doing so good CCU, which I never would have saw that coming because I just figured they were just going to be a middle-of-the-road team, you know, joining the Sun Belt, coming from 1AA, but Jamie Chadwell is a coach. We, I believe Tony Washington, um, we acquired him as our wide receivers coach from CCU, and even our receivers have had a little bit of trouble with the drops and things you know over the last couple of years and it's still happening i do think chadwell would be a great great head coach eventually someone's going to snag him he's not going to be at coastal forever and i do think he would be a great fit to fit in with west virginia as a you know our head coach yeah chadwell i think definitely is gonna find someone interested in him i mean he has before and we'll just see how long he wants to be at coastal um, I think he does have some appreciation for that program only because, of course, you know, he was uh, – we've talked about it 
before, but he was a head coach at Charleston Southern, not typically a strong FCS program. He was their head coach. And then Joe Moglia, the previous head coach, who was fascinating, utterly fascinating guy at uh, Coastal, brought him in as his offensive coordinator and clearly as an heir apparent. And then his medical issues forced him to retire, I think, faster than he anticipated. And Shadwell just took the ball and ran with it. I mean, just just stunningly, uh, uh, you know, successful over there. And it's so funny. I keep hearing the chirp, and I keep thinking it's one of my own fire. Uh, probably one of my own smoke detectors. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 yeah, sorry, it's mine. I just I'm too no, lazy. I'm no, 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 no. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I twitch when I hear it because I'm always like, oh no, not again. Um, yeah, the wife, yeah. I got a change that the wife got on me about. I changed most of them. I forgot the one upstairs, and I said I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, well, but I'm on that. But hey, man, yeah. calling in. It was great hearing from you. All right, but one last thing I wanted to say sure. real quick um, with the coaches. The last dark horse that um, another person that, like I said, sometimes it's a homegrown, like you say, like with Jim Leonard and coaches for different, you know, whatever reason it may be. Um, Tony Gibson at NC State. We kind of felt back when the whole coaching carousel happened with West Virginia that he didn't get a fair shot and maybe he didn't, you know, present the look of like a, a CEO type of coach. But a lot of Mountaineer faithful, right? You know, we were happy with his defense. It was kind of a bend but don't break. But he's one of the most prideful, prideful West Virginia people that we know. And he's someone that we'd love to pluck away from NC State and let him be our head coach because he lives and breathes every Mountaineer football. That that sounds like a good basis for a potential candidate there. Well, we'll yeah. see how long Neil Brown hangs around there, but thanks so much again. It was good to hear you from you. Thank you, guys. Hey, Ferris, what's up? You've been patient. We'd love to hear from you. So just wanted to get your thoughts on Nebraska. Um, being in Nebraska and listening to local radio hosts and local radio, local media personalities, I think there's no other real sports here in the state of Nebraska. So I think the hype um, and hearing from local media is, is a little too much sometimes. So just wanted to get your thoughts on might be next to Nebraska and kind of the state of the program. Obviously, it hasn't worked out as of late, um, but want to get things turned around and would like to see some outside perspective for a change or hear some outside perspective. Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the big question and, and with Wisconsin becoming open, I think we've heard that it might become a, a two way battle. You know, it's hard not to uh, to say that um, Lance Leipold is going to be an attractive candidate. Now, whether he's willing to move, we've talked about that. It seems Kansas could make it so that he would be, you know, it's an easier role if you're at Kansas because there is less expectations if you just keep being. Modestly, I mean, moderately successful with occasional punches and for glory, you know, every now and again, it's a little bit more likely to to um, to keep a candidate who wants that kind of lack of head pressure. Um, but all of that said, I mean, he's a competitive guy. He won six national championships in eight years in D3. You know, Buffalo took a chance on him, brought him up, and he made them start to look competent again. And then Kansas jumped on them, and we all know how that's going. So it could be that he's competitive enough that Nebraska is an attractive target for him, that, you know, it fits into the Midwest area. The problem is, of course, he spent all those years in Wisconsin, and now, you know, the the top position there has come open. And that's something we actually had a conversation when we talked with Wazoo head coach Jake Dickert on the program um, before he played at Wisconsin, before he pulled what was then considered an upset over Wisconsin, you know, he also came from the, you know, small college Wisconsin football in D3. And to him, he said, like, going into Camp Randall, 
win or lose, he's like, that's going to be, that's going to be a moment for me. That's going to be interesting to him. That's like a triumph to come back and play in Camp Randall, let alone he went in obviously won in Camp Randall. So that's why you can't help but wonder if Wisconsin's going to have that kind of allure if they decide to go after him. Now, and, and how that would compete against going back to Nebraska. Now, Nebraska itself, hmm, there's some, I mean, they can pull somebody. They're going to have the budget to be able to do it. They have the facilities. J.D., serious, did you want to add anything to this? I've been kind of blathering on. Yeah, so I think right now, uh, I think all eyes are on Mickey Joseph more than anything else right now. Uh, you know, he did get a win against Indiana, first time in a long time that they've won against FBS competition, especially in Memorial Stadium. You know, Indiana is going through their own stuff right now and historically has, well, been Indiana. But to see a game that you can win and in a game that you're supposed to win, you do get that type of victory where it's not, you know, just a one score BS game where you're trying to figure out, oh, we're hanging on, we're white knuckling it here, trying to make sure that we actually just get to the end of the game. The fact that Mickey Joseph was able to get his guys to do what they were supposed to do, I think that's something direction and kind of similar in like this whole thing with Jim Leonard uh, taking over at Wisconsin. I think Nebraska also wanted to move on early so that they could get an early look at what was going to happen with, you know, Mickey Joseph actually taking over at uh, Nebraska. I think ultimately still a four person race, uh, maybe three now, now that Jim Leonard is going to be taking over at uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, temporarily, but I still think it's going to be that uh, race of Lance Leipold, Matt Campbell, and Mickey Joseph for that position. And I'd be fairly surprised if we look uh, to somewhere else outside of that for Nebraska's next head coach. I think Matt Campbell's getting a raise no matter what. I mean, he's, there's going to be, everyone's going to still throw some interest his way. So if I'm his agent, I'm getting as much money out of Iowa State um, if, he stay, if he decides to stay. Serious. Matt Campbell remains one of the most mystifying um, names that keeps coming up in these coaching searches because uh, he's someone that's never that impressive to me. And I understand that, you know, it's Iowa State. The expectations are different. But for someone whose name keeps coming up, you know, NFL openings, Power 5 openings, um, teams with, you know, long histories, uh, it always keeps popping up again and again and again. And I look at what he's done at Iowa State, I'm like – I don't see it. I'm, it's He's not one of those coaches that I think is a surefire guaranteed winner that if you hand him the reins of a bigger program, he's going to do bigger things. I don't know that his ceiling is that much higher than what it is at Iowa State um, because he's had these kind of like mystifying losses or games where he's just kind of given up, um, called it quits in the you know after the third quarter and not tried to go out and finish it out the game. And yet he keeps getting all of this interest. So maybe these uh, these programs, these ADs are seeing something in him that I don't. But um, it'll be interesting to see if he finally does leave Iowa State. And if he does, um, where he goes and for how much money. Because that could be really interesting in a couple of years. Um, you know, kind of looking at some of these other high-paid coaches that are really struggling this year. One other head coach, although I don't know if this is necessarily when Nebraska would go after, would be Sean Lewis, you know, at Kent State. You know, they're, they're kind of even more extreme version of people. You know, the numbers themselves don't seem quite as impressive, you know, in terms of wins and losses, but they keep – they seem to be getting better. They're no longer a complete disaster in the MAC. Um, you know, I could see certain teams going I, – I doubt Nebraska would go after them. We've talked about this. I mean – this, I mean, when we're talking about Nebraska, 
Trev Alberts, this is going to be his legacy hire. So he's going to want to pick somebody who wows people and hopefully obviously succeeds on the field. But the first step is going to be someone who wows the boosters, wows uh, the fan base, and and brings interest back in. I mean, not that the, I mean, hey, it's the Huskers. There's always interest, but you know, but really galvanizes the fan base and gets them really hyper. I mean, the the counterexample to that was when USC, for example, decided to keep Clay Helton and everyone in the program, or even before that, they hired Steve Sarkeesian. You will never hear a greater kind of okay from a traditional blue blood than when that happened. And then he ended up not working out. Um, eventually Texas hired him, but that was obviously, I'm skipping a few steps there. Um, and then you have, you know, Nebraska, that, Nebraska's equivalent was Mike Riley. Obviously you can't go, but that would be the clearest example of where everyone was like, what on earth, Nebraska? So I think at this point, they're going to go for a big splash hire. So someone like a Sean Lewis wouldn't be on their table, but certainly I could see some of these other big openings looking at him. It's going to be interesting. I think that, yeah, certainly. I mean, again, it, it's kind of, you know, we've seen Bill O'Brien get tossed around. We'll, you'll hear Chris Kleiman get tossed around. You know, Jamie Chadwell will always be out there. But, yeah, I think I agree with J.D. It's it's that the people um, the people there are, are getting kind of limited. But thanks again. It was great hearing from you, Ferris. Kind of surprised. What, kind of surprised at what JD said. It's just a final note that you'd be surprised if it was anybody besides Lance Leipold or Matt Campbell at Nebraska. It does kind of surprise me. I know Dave Aranda's name's been tossed around a lot locally, but kind of surprising. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, and you know, I, actually, I just want to add to you. Yeah, I think you're right about that, and I think you know, even because they certainly don't seem to be doing all that great. Matt Rule might also pop up if they're really willing to try something different. If he decides, if he eventually gets. Can by the Panthers. He might be an intriguing hire out there, but we'll see. NFL coaches are always a little dicey to chase after them because sometimes, you know, they end up, yeah, they end up, <laughs> they end up hanging around there too long and then they drag the coaching cycle on for too uh, makes it uncomfortable for the, the AD and the, and the fan base. But thanks for, thanks for reaching out to us. Hey, TJ, you wanted to come back up. What's up? And if anyone else wants to ask questions or just give your thoughts, We'd love to hear from you. Just hit request. Yeah, I, I don't want to take any fire from the uh, Nebraska guy. I apologize. But I want to go back to, you know, West Virginia and this and that. Um, West Virginia, number one, I'm a Wake Forest fan. Just put it out there. I'm sorry. Wake Forest, yada, yada. Still rolling this year. It's pretty fun. But um, West Virginia 100% deserves to be in the ACC. However, um, you know, Jamie Chowell, um, Hugh Freeze, et cetera, you know, there are the big names who are keep popping up for every, every opening uh, position out there. But Graham Harrell, I feel like he does not get mentioned enough. I mean, you think back to him and Crabtree and that Texas Tech, Texas game in like 2008, where they beat uh, Texas in um, at Texas Tech, one of the greatest games of all time. I, I, I feel like his name doesn't get brought up enough. He's very Kellen Moore-like at, uh, in Dallas. I, I, I'm... I'm shocked his name's not brought up like everyone else is. I don't know. You guys' opinion, but for me, it feels like his name should be brought up a lot. I think that in general, whenever, you know, especially fans are talking about uh, coaching hires, there's kind of a hierarchy there of, you know, proven winner from a a P5 program, um, maybe like proven winner from a G5 program, and then like talented uh, coordinator 
with experience and then kind of, you know, it trickles your way down from there. Right. So I don't know that it's a, a case where, you know, West Virginia fans wouldn't be excited about the chance of having Graham Harrell, but you know, he's still kind of new to the program. Um, he's got experience at a few other stops along the way, but you know, he's only been a P five coordinator since 2019. So, um, not a whole lot of track record there, even if he has done some exciting things. And, uh, you know, that's probably why he's not at the top of the list for everybody that, you know, they're raving about, like, let's give him the head coaching position. Um, especially if you're not happy with your current head coach, um, that might impact whether or not you think that the, the guy who's calling plays for him is the best option, especially, um, if, you know, he's he's not got that long track record of turning programs around multiple stops. You know, those guys who have made their way through through uh, a lot of experiences and you know that they're capable of doing this other places, even if they're not doing it right now. You know, and it's well, the head coach is just holding them back kind of thing. So I think that that's probably part of the reason why, you know, Graham Harrell's not getting as much mention as some of these other head coaches that, um, you know, like West Virginia fans would would like to hire away. Um, I'm not sold on the Hugh Freeze redemption arc that, you know, he deserves a second chance, uh, but that's just me personally. I think one of the other interesting names, obviously, for West Virginia is going to be a name that will probably pop up for Wisconsin. Again, this is probably a hire that's probably like third, fourth on that list, but Sean Lewis out of uh, Kent State, we've brought uh, his name up on the show or a little bit earlier before, but this is a guy who, you know, he played at Wisconsin. He's one of the youngest FBS coaches in the country right now. And he does a lot of games where, you know, they're going to get beat up by teams like Oklahoma and Georgia in these huge buyout games, but then they turn around and then they're super competitive in the Mac. Uh, when you look at his history, like this is a guy who has won at a bunch of different places like Syracuse at Kent State, Bowling Green, uh, Akron. Like, this is a guy who knows that region of the country. And I think one of the big identities for West Virginia is being able to uh, really take in not just state and regional pride, but being able to find out, hey, who are the guys that everybody else is ignoring in this region that we can bring in? Because back in the day, you know, Rich Rodriguez had the ability to really recruit Florida, and that's not necessarily as available now because of national recruiting and the huge uh, SEC presence that's now available in Florida. So I think if you want to see a prominence back in West Virginia, you need somebody who knows how to make a lot of lemonade out of very small lemons. And I think Sean Lewis would be a fantastic hire in that capacity because he's shown over and over again, he knows how to do just that. Yeah, I agree. And he, I mean, his, the salary in there is just, you know, it, it's, I mean, I wouldn't complain if I had it, but it's $440,000, at least according to the numbers I saw right now. So he would be a very easy guy to, to hopefully to poach for just about any school that's willing to, to add him to their program. So TJ, it was great hearing from you again. Hey, Cody, what's up? We'd love to hear from you. How's everyone doing? Good. It's good to hear from you again. What's up? Yeah, um, the Colorado news, obviously not surprising. Uh, just been a dumpster fire program. Um, one name I was thinking of maybe taking, I'm sorry I joined late, so if I'm already repeating something, I do apologize. Um, I was thinking maybe like an Alex Grinch might be a candidate for a Colorado job. Um, 
I, a younger coach, I think that'd be a good first gig for him. Also, I know I said it a couple weeks ago, but I still think Scott Frost would work at Colorado, even though Colorado fans would probably, I mean, Nebraska fans would kill him for it. So just curious on your thoughts on that. The only way I'm hiring Scott Frost if he literally is if he literally agrees to work for $1. That's it. Um, that's the only way you can convince me to hire him as a head coach at this point. Uh, he's got enough of a buyout from Nebraska that that should be his going price, in my opinion. <laughs> he, he brought, but bringing up Alex Grinch is, is interesting because he's a defensive coordinator at USC. He, was, he came with Riley from Oklahoma. After the first couple of games, USC's defense seemed kind of suspect. So I would have been like, well, you know, I don't know if, if the Trojans weep if if he was poached, particularly by, for example, Colorado. But suddenly, you know, after that Oregon State game, they seem to, to do better. They seem to step up. And I'm not sure. I mean, he could be interesting. I mean, Colorado is in a bit of a bind. We talked about that because, you know, Mel Tucker was proved they could be outbid very, very easily by another program, especially one with the budgetary uh, uh, availability as, as a Big Ten team. And um, I know Eric Bieniemy is, is who they really would love to get. They've, they've tried to get him before, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Um, he passed on the job that, that went, uh, you know. <laughs> I still get, by the way, the joke to me is if Colorado follows the you know, follows up and just rehires New Heisel only because that's what UCLA did when they <laughs> when after he was last fired from the from the Pac-12 job. But you know, I gosh, that, it's a good question. I'm not sure if Alex Grinch is an interesting one. I, I could see that one potentially being a possibility. I mean, I know Colorado might go after Troy Calhoun again. You know, he he's also turned them down before. I think he's really happy with Air Force. If you ever talk to him, and I, I talked to him about West Media Day before, he was pretty satisfied being there. I think he likes being the head coach of the service academy, really, you know, lives and breathes that mission that they have there. So I think he may be a, a little less likely to, to move, even though it wouldn't be a long distance for him to go there. One of the, the more interesting things, questions out there is you know what yeah i think or i think really colorado is going to be the the team that's going to have to get creative georgia tech as well their their budget doesn't quite go as high as an sec program but i think colorado in particular is going to have to get creative in finding a new head coach that's going to be successful there probably maybe a g5 head coach or a p5 coordinator Look, I mean, let's be honest here. You don't hire Carl Durrell because you have the ability to get anybody you want. If you look at his track record, the guy got fired as an offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt after one season. I mean, like, that's... We all know about the UCLA thing, but in, in more recent years, that's the kind of performance he was putting on the field. So, um, that's, you know, that kind of puts into perspective of what the draw is for Colorado um, in terms of, like, their limitations. So the list that you have your wish list for head coaches, it's going to be a little bit more restricted than say like out of Wisconsin or maybe even in Nebraska. Um, so the list is not as long as at some of these other places. Yeah. And I think one of the other things, again, just with how bizarre this Doral hire originally was with 
Colorado, you have to remember, Mel Tucker had left after signing day. Uh, I think it was in February, right before the pandemic. And that's when Carl Durrell was brought in because he was essentially the guy who was available and willing in February of 2020 or so to actually go take the job. Uh, now, granted, when you're looking at this new landscape, you're going to need to find somebody who will be competitive and actually try to do something unique and creative at Colorado. Because one of the other things that's also out there is, you know, everybody loves to talk about, oh, Boulder is such a beautiful place. Oh, they won that national championship in the 90s. Oh, I remember those teams like being super competitive in the early Big 12. Well, one of the big issues is since 2005, they've only posted two winning seasons. There was the 2016 season that kind of came out of nowhere with no explanation uh, with Mike McIntyre, where they ended up losing in the Alma Bowl that year. They won the Pac-12 South, but then ended up with a bowl game and then went right back to being Colorado. And then uh, right after that, you had the weird COVID year where, you know, going, uh, I think it was four and two. Uh, during uh, 2020 ended up being the second winning season for Colorado since 2005. And you got to remember, there are a handful of recruits uh, that, you know, are going to be signing their LOIs this coming uh, December or this coming February or just sometime in this year where they were born in 2005. So for them, they haven't lived in a time that Colorado has been competitive. A lot of people like to say, oh, these teams are a sleeping giant. Oh, these are teams that can just be turned around with the one right hire. There are going to be some institutions that are going to go by the wayside and really are just not the attractive job that people think that it's going to be. So that's why I would think if I'm Colorado, you got to do something creative here. You got to start looking at, you know, can you do an option offense? Can you do uh, a good retread of somebody who uh, is ready to go and try something new? Are you ready to gamble on a really young guy that doesn't have head coaching experience or at least is going to have an opportunity of, you know, if we're going to be a stepping stone job like a Mel Tucker, how do we find the guys that are going to consider get us the seven win, eight win uh, wins or something else like that for Colorado to be competitive again. Uh, it's going to be a long-term struggle, I think, for Colorado in order to improve. And uh, especially given everything that's just happened there uh, with Cardurel, uh, it's going to be, uh, I think, probably the least attractive Power 5 uh, job. I would put it even lower than Georgia Tech right now. Uh, and I'm going to be very curious to see who they get in. And I'm also going to be really curious to see you know, how much uh, the Colorado brass is also going to put up with Rick George as an athletic director. I know that they've obviously tried to look at, you know, we should improve our academic profile. We're not investing as much in football as some of our peers. But I'm really curious to see where Colorado wants to go, because right now it is anybody's guess on what they actually want to do in terms of long term competition. And of course, there's a limitation to add into that that we haven't even mentioned, which is the fact that with USC and UCLA, the last two undefeated teams in the Pac-12 this year, leaving for the Big Ten, the Big Ten's payouts per team are going to go even higher. Um, so that's going to help with Wisconsin and Nebraska as they're budgeting for these new contracts. And the Pac-12s is going to get smaller. We don't know how much smaller. Um, there are a lot of rumors floating around right now. But the media rights package for the Pac-12 isn't as attractive as it was before. And that's going to mean even less money coming to the schools. And that was from a conference that was already trailing behind because of the abysmal um, third tier rights package that they have right now of having to dump everything on Pac-12 network 
for very, very little money. So not only do you have this history of a lack of success at Colorado, but you also have the fact that now they're going to be working with an even smaller budget for athletics, even if they do want to spend more on that part of the program. I just want to add real quick. I think Colorado does have decent facilities. They, they did build that up, oh, oh gosh, five, six years ago. So at least they're not totally far behind, but the budget will be a concern. I could see, especially after K-State made, made climbing work really well there, I wonder if Matt Entz is worth for Colorado, you know, they could look in that direction or if they really wanted to go local. I mean, Weber State has been looking pretty good with Jay Hill. They blew out Utah State. That was that was one of those wilder games that I think, you know, we mentioned it on the on our CFP, uh, you know, on our Twitter account. But I mean, that was like a 35 to 7 just blowout of the reigning Mountain West champion. So I could see Jay Hill being a potential interesting hire there. But I do agree, you know, Colorado does not have the same power as Georgia Tech does inherently because Georgia Tech's in Atlanta. That that alone, with the hotbed of talent around them, gives them, I think, all things – if all else was equal, that gives Georgia Tech a little bit of an edge, although I do believe they're a little bit tougher academically for trying to find in admits being the, the kind of program they are. Let's see here. Um, Hall and Oates, uh, you've been really patient. Love to hear from you. Thank you, and uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I just got home, and I saw that Colorado fired uh, the coach, and I saw that uh, Wisconsin fired the coach. But the Colorado one doesn't surprise me so much, but Wisconsin, man, who do you think they are? I mean, he has 40 more wins than losses, and, yeah, they may have had a sluggish start, but that doesn't mean that you get rid of a really good coach and a pretty good recruiter based on what he can get and what he can do. I don't get it. You know, I'm as just as a head scratcher. And as far as uh, Colorado, Nebraska, Georgia Tech, I'm 45, and I remember when those guys were actually you know good in the top 25 every year. But the game has changed. They have to get the right people to recruit better and to convince kids to come there and I know people say well they might not want to well Arkansas a few years ago was in the dumps and you know Sam Pippen has convinced good kids to to come and participate and I just think that coaches well athletic directors have to be smart and pay the right amount for the assistants for the analysts and just uh, you know get coaches that are grinders and and staff members that are grinders that want to have a good program or they just be lazy and just settle on uh, you know what they can get hope for the best because I never thought that game day would come to Kansas but they're coming next week and that's pretty much all I got to say yeah it's definitely a surprise I mean one of the things we hit on immediately was this was the surprise firing of the season at least so far hey it's still early right uh, I mean seeing the Badgers let, let him go because Chris I mean as we said he was one win away from tying um, Brett Bielema for being the uh, the second winningest coach in Wisconsin history, and of course, thanks to Brett, he's not long. He's not. That's not going to happen. So, the, just to kind of circle back to what we'd said earlier, and I just want to kind of um, to touch on. I think the collective thinking, and it's not just us. You know, our so-called brain trust is Jim Letter. Jim Letter has been. Uh, he he is sort of like the. He, some people consider him potential heir apparent. So I think part of the reason is you give him seven games 
to prove himself or not, because he was already a a candidate for other positions um, as a promising coordinator at a P5 program. I think they decided, well, let's see if we can land him now. I mean, I'm not saying that's a very viable reason. Maybe they knew they were going to fire him anyway, and they just decided, well, if we're going to fire the head coach, let's fire him now and let the potential heir apparent see if he's worth it or not. And if he isn't, you know, no problem. No harm, no foul there. We got seven games out of him, and we can look for a, another candidate who might fit better. But it's it, it that is certainly that seems to be the most believable reason that why they decided to fire him now. JD, serious, where do you think on that? So I'll also go into the case case again. We kind of talked about it at the uh, start of the hour. I think at least one of the good cases for Wisconsin decided to uh, cut bait. Uh, I don't think it's dissimilar to the idea of when Dan Mullen ended up getting cut of Florida. Uh, if you look at his tenure, you know, he had multiple New Year's Six Bowls uh, before a cleat was thrown. Uh, you know, he was in the playoff hunt. Uh, Paul Christ, uh, you know, had been a consistent Big Ten uh, overperformer, at least relative to recruiting expectations, had won an Orange Bowl for the Badgers, uh, constantly was the Big Ten West power. But when you look at this season, there's a lot of uncharacteristic things that are happening at Wisconsin. I mean, first off, you had Washington State uh, come into Camp Randall and you lose an embarrassing 17-14 game uh, to a team that you were expected to just completely bowl over just solely based on size. Then you have a game where you go to Ohio State where, you know, previously under Jim Leonard, you hadn't given up 41 points in a four-quarter game, and then you just get the doors blown off of you by Ohio State, where they put up 55, and you look absolutely nothing like a Big Ten contender. And then you go back to Camp Randall, and then you get, you know, held to just two rushing yards, which, again, that's probably the fireable offense at Wisconsin, doing two rushing yards against a team that, you know, maybe if this was an all-time Michigan defense, Maybe if this is an all-time Ohio State defense, maybe that's a little bit more forgivable. But you lost with a two-yard rushing game against Illinois. That's one of your state next-door rivals. Uh, And, of course, Brett Bielema is one of the guys that, you know, uh, back in the day, Paul Chris was his offensive coordinator from 2006 until uh, the time that – Bielema ended up taking the Arkansas job. Uh, Paul Christ was his offensive coordinator. Uh, and the fact that, you know, he just looked absolutely outcoached, outplayed at every facet of the game, uh, that's kind of those clear signs of, you know, if you want to look at where Wisconsin can track, they can immediately go, you know what, this is just not going to pass the mustard. We don't know, uh, you know, if we're going to get, uh, you know, the next Urban Meyer or the next Nick Saban or the next bear Bryant or what have you uh, to come be our next head coach. But we know for a fact that where we want to go is not going to go in the direction that this program is going. I'll add on to that. And I'll say that, you know, Chris has a record where he came in, he won a lot more at Wisconsin. than He did when he was at at Pitt. Um, But the last time that he won the West was back in 2019. And since then he's been second or third in the division. And this year was tracking to be a year where things were not going to go the way that they were supposed to. JD pretty much nailed it, everything right on the head when it came to, you know, the disappointment that they're seeing this season. But I think also you have to look back at the times when um, they made the uh, the Big Ten championship game or they made 
a New Year's Six game and things didn't go the way that they had hoped, um, which it happens. And if you're looking at the fact that you've already played Ohio State, who's the projected favorite for the Big Ten, um, you look at the fact that they've already lost to another team um, in the Big Ten, Western Illinois, that it's become more and more clear that Chris is consistent. He can get you to a bowl game. He's not going to get you a Big Ten championship. It's it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, he's made it there three times now. He's come away with a loss every single time. And he's not able to compete for um, winning the conference and also, you know, making a move for the uh, the New Year's Six or the, the college football playoffs and taking you potentially to a championship. Meanwhile, Nebraska is getting a new head coach. Some of your division mates are looking more competitive than they have in the past. Um, let's be honest. Iowa is, as usual, an offensive co- a competent offensive coordinator away from being a serious contender in the Big Ten. Um, Bielema's got Illinois improving. You know, these teams are getting more competitive, and they're all about to get a huge infusion of cash with the new media rights deal. So if all you're going to do is a consistent top three divisional finish under Paul Christ, and you've got a guy that's uh, with Jim Leonard, who is getting some serious consideration as a head coach, why not go ahead and make the move? See how Leonard does this season. And if you don't like him, you've got the money there to go out and try to make a splashy hire, um, depending on who's available on the open market. And you've got plenty of time to conduct that coaching search in the background um, and also give Leonard a chance to prove that he's capable. Um, so I think that that's kind of, if I'm a, a Wisconsin athletic director, that's what I'm looking at. And I'm thinking Paul Christ is, is consistent and he's solid, but he's not the guy. Um, now there's always the potential that this is a um, Nebraska type situation where you fire a coach that can get you a consistent nine to 10 win season, maybe more. And you wind up hiring someone who can't do that. Um, that's always the risk that you take. But grand scheme of things, um, this is a pretty good situation for Wisconsin to try to test the waters with someone who's in-house, who is an alum, um, to see if he'll work or not. And then if not, they've still got plenty of time to go do a real coaching search. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's the the way I frame it. It gives them a chance to really get a look at the person they thought was their heir apparent. And then, you know, at that point, maybe someone like a Matt Rule will be available because the NFL will have finally spat him back out. And he might be an interesting candidate for actually many jobs. I think he's one of those names. You know, the other oddball name that comes up, although I think less for Wisconsin and more for the the slightly more difficult programs, you know, purportedly like Colorado or Georgia Tech, is Bronco Mendenhall, because he's been sitting out, you know, did well at BYU. UVA surprised everyone by hiring him, and then now he's out and about. I, I think he might always be a potential candidate out there as we talk about some of these programs, although maybe that maybe that ship has sailed. I'm not sure. But thanks again for joining. For, I mean, because that, that surprise is definitely, I think, the thing heading into all of this. No one expected Wisconsin to pull the trigger, so we're just sitting here trying to kind of logically come up with where they where their their thinking was and that seems to be i think the the common ground hey mountaineer messiah you came back up we'd love to hear from you all right thanks guys um i'm just with all the talk about you know with the coaches firings and stuff and 
I'm just curious. A lot of me, a couple of friends and I will discuss and think about um, if realignment, which people say is killing the sport, obviously that's, you know, everyone's opinion. If that's probably affected everything in terms of coaching, because growing up, I remember when Colorado, when they were in the Big 12, and at that point, I, you know, I was just a young kid. I was in middle school. Is They were great. I remember the Hail Mary with Cordell Stewart to um, Westbrook and Rashawn Salam, and, like, they were just, like, a dominant team that I grew up watching back in that era. And I'm just curious, with Nebraska having formerly been in the Big 12 and them switching conferences, um, do you think realignment is affecting the perception of schools that might not be blue bloods but traditionally are good and now not perceived that way where colorado is you know i know that's a prideful program i watched them growing up they were good nebraska we all know is a blue blood they were good and in terms of school switching conferences um there's a debate that a couple uh neighbors down here i'm in the south and acc land and sec um, a lot of clemson fans tell me and georgia fans say back when realignment started they felt West Virginia, I'm not saying this is not from my mouth, but um, they felt that they would have been a better fit at the time because, you know, we came off the Pat White era, Steve Slate, and then we went into the Geno um, and Tavon Austin and Bailey, and that they were a better fit for the SEC, but they took Missouri because of back then it was the TV markets. I'm wondering, do you think that might um, affect the perception of um, coaching, posi- coaching positions or how they're viewed? Because Missouri, it seems, a lot of SEC fans out here feel like Missouri as a school culturally doesn't fit really in the SEC and people think at the time back then West Virginia would fit now that's obviously a moot point because we're not playing that well but I'm just curious if do you think that affects what jobs are enticing based on what conferences you're in or what footprint or where you came from or now where you're at in a new conference I don't think that um, realignment is the answer for why some of these programs from the 90s have struggled the way that they have. Um, I think that comes down about recruiting uh, and how much more uh, advanced the development of younger players has gotten. Um, back in the day, you know, you could find lots of, of high school athletes who had experience in run-heavy offenses, whether that's, you know, uh, eye formation or a wing formation, whatever um, option. You know, whatever you're looking for in that sense, because let's be honest, when it comes to high school peewee players, it's easier to teach that type of offense because you don't need the skill set that you need in order to run a passing offense. Um, So a lot of high schools, even today, you know, if you see them, they'll just keep it simple and run the ball because there's fewer bad things that can happen. So if you're um, Tom Osborne and you're looking for guys that can can run that kind of offense that you have at Nebraska, especially when you are the premier program um, in, in that state. And, you know, it's every farm kid in Nebraska's dream is to, to play for the Huskers. Um, you can bring them in there to you're familiar with your offense and then put them through a, a really, really prime strength and conditioning program and turn them into absolute monsters. Uh, but now with more kids trying to develop earlier because contracts in the NFL are so much higher, that's the dream to get there. Or you want to, you have parents that want to get their kids into a, a college scholarship um, to cover increased costs of college now um, that they're trying to develop these, these kids at a, at a younger age, work on, you know, the fine skills um, that that takes. And this change in offensive strategies since the nineties, where you have more of these high flying offenses that are throwing the ball around, you know, not even if it's a, an air raid, but air raid concepts, pro-style concepts, um, basically trying to figure out what the NFL wants. Um, 
that the recruiting angle has changed. And, um, you know, we had Bo Pelini on um, back earlier this spring, and he kind of talked about the fact that if you're trying to recruit in Nebraska, it's really hard because the talent level there isn't what it is in, you know, um, Louisiana or Florida or California or Texas or Mississippi or Georgia. Um, you don't have that homegrown talent that, you know, grows up wanting to play for your team. Um, you have lots of kids who do want to play for your team, but, you know, it's, it's not the same level. Um, so you have to recruit in a bigger area, um, which means you're recruiting against more programs. And that means, you know, you're having to fight with premier, pr- premier programs. And if you haven't had recent success, that makes it so much harder. Um, so I think that really that's a, a bigger aspect of this than the realignment. Realignment has helped teams um, get more money than they used to, get more exposure than they used to. Um, but in terms of, of the, the competitiveness aspect, I think that that's probably the bigger issue. Um, you know, just this changing format for, for how you find your players. And then uh, as far as, as West Virginia, I'm so, you know, I guess ACC fans um, other than Clemson would probably have been interested in bringing them in. Uh, Clemson might have been a little hesitant after that bowl game um, when they dropped 70 on them, uh, especially with that little uh, bump pass that they, that Clemson just never had an answer for. Um, Culturally, I think that they made a lot of sense. Um, But the big thing about that move at the time was, uh, that round of expansion was all about media markets uh, because everybody was trying to get their own conference network. And in order to get the higher prices for it, um, you needed to have a team that was in the watershed uh, of that area. So bringing in Missouri, even though the cultural fits, not quite the same, it gave you access to uh, just Kansas city and Springfield or Kansas city and St. Louis media markets, just like adding A&M, was able to bring you a lot of the larger cities in Texas where you could charge that extra fee. Um, so, you know, maybe you get $2 instead of $1 from every uh, household that has it, something like that. Um, so I think things have shifted. You know, if we were talking about West Virginia making a move now, um, then the brand, the reputation they have would have made them a more appealing target probably. Um than if it's just about media markets. But unfortunately, at the time, media markets were what was, you know, the the rule of the day. And uh, West Virginia just didn't have a sizable enough city um, to be able to compete with with some of these other options like uh, Missouri or Texas A&M. I think one of the other things, too, at least in realignment and kind of the changes that we've seen in college football to kind of prompt some of these moves is one of the things that we have to remember is there's so much money in the sport now that that really wears down on patience, both for boosters and for administrators. Like right now, uh, I, I think you can make a pretty fair argument that West Virginia would be a better cultural fit in the ACC, uh, you know, if they were able to play more of their former Big East rivals, uh, keep it a little bit more regional. They weren't flying out to the central time zone for the vast majority of their games. But one of the things that you also got to remember is West Virginia is making a lot more money in the Big 12 than they were in the Big East back in the day. And that's one of the reasons that they decided to make that deal in realignment. And especially when we see 
all this money that's on the line. Uh, we want to see, you know, these schools that uh, would be patient with these coaches would try to build the culture and the things that are needed. Uh, but on top of all the things that have changed, and especially with the transfer portal of, you know, you can go in and we used to say, you know, oh, he needs at least three years to get his guys. Well, now you can look at examples like Lincoln Riley out at USC. Uh, so he can just straight out go and get a Caleb Williams and get a Jordan Addison and go, hey, I can build a contender within one year. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of those. And if anything else, I think I'm going to predict that we're actually going to see faster coaching carousels in the future uh, because with the amount of money that's coming in, these buyouts aren't necessarily as scary to programs anymore. Uh, I think people expect wins a lot faster, and especially with the analytics that are in, a lot of people, I think, are able to cut bait a lot faster, and they're able to say, hey, you know what, this guy could be like a Dabo Swinney where, you know, we're going to go for seven years between, you know, becoming the uh, head coach versus winning a national championship. We want to start seeing that now, or at least the clear signs that it's happening, because if not we already know that we can move on. And I think that's part of the reason why West Virginia might be in the same boat that they're in, because for better, or for worse, that's the environment that they're now going up against. I mean, Wisconsin just decided today that, Hey, you know what? Paul Christ isn't the answer for where we want to go. We got to go try something else. And I think even a small program like West Virginia, if you don't have that media market or don't have, that talent pool, you're still going to be looking into that type of option because that's the way that the sport is now. And if you want to keep up with the Joneses, you got to act like the Joneses. I think it's interesting to kind of go back to sort of the initial thought about how much realignment has affected the perception of some of these teams. I mean, I definitely think Arizona State and Colorado now are in a much weaker position than they would have been just three years ago um, or four years ago before out happened when uh, obviously Texas and Oklahoma sort of kicked off this latest round of coalescing into super conferences with USC and UCLA bolting to the Big Ten. Before that, Arizona State and Colorado might have had a big, better fight. They might have had a hopefully you know better media deal once renegotiation happened and then some more budget to to compete at a higher level. But right now, Arizona State and Colorado certainly don't have, I think, the, the financial tools that Nebraska and Wisconsin do. And similarly, Georgia Tech just can't, I think, get into that kind of competition. I know one thing that was mentioned, and I saw it on our CFB, and I know I've seen it on because it's a Twitter by Adam Rittenberg has updated that um, – uh, he sent out a tweet that Chris McIntosh said Wisconsin and Paul Christ agreed to a settlement that is less than the numbers that have been reported. So he isn't getting the incredible boatload of $16.4 million that was originally reported. So they, they came to some settlement on that. Um, those things happen. But uh, still, he's getting a fair amount of money. And I think certainly heading into this coaching carousel, the way things have shaken down, even though – you know, Wisconsin was very strong at one point, and now, although I wouldn't say at least in the last decade or so, they've always been a solid team. They're not like an Ohio State or, or Michigan um, at this point, uh, and it's been a while since then. They certainly can outcompete Colorado and Arizona State just from the sheer amount of dollars that are coming in, thanks to realignment, thanks to the new deals. And, and, it's, and of course, they're only going to be enriched more when this Big Ten renegotiation completes. 
And the last thing I just want to say, guys, and then that's it. I'm shut up for the night. But uh, I think the one thing, too, within the transfer portal, that hasn't worked out too well for us. JT Daniels is probably the best thing that we've gotten from it. We've lost more players to it. And sad thing is most of those players that are on teams like Miami, Auburn, Georgia, they, they're not even seeing the field at all. They're buried in the depth chart. So it's almost like they thought going to a bigger brand name school would be more lucrative for them, obviously, to get to the NFL. And it hasn't turned out well for them. So that's unfortunately they have to deal with that now. But for in terms of Brown, I think the one thing that a lot of people don't realize why his job is kind of still safe, I have to say, even though I think he's really much on the hot, hot seat, is our recruiting is a lot better. If you look, it's not, you know, top 25. But we're pulling in four-star kids, spells that had the interception in Virginia Tech, four-star kid from Florida that could have went to Florida State, Miami, anywhere. Uh, Nico Marchio, four-star quarterback from Arizona, decommitted from Florida State, came to us. So he's recruiting way better than anyone has done at West Virginia. But the product on the field, he's not in year four. It's th- th- There's nothing's happening with the wind and stuff. So I almost feel like, do you kind of cut ties with him? And then you're going to lose that recruiting you're getting or, you know, that's why I think there's there's different things that are kind of keeping him still with the job now, though. But I, looking at the rest of our schedule, I'll be honest to you, we are the worst team in the, in the Big 12 and I don't see us winning a game the remainder of the season. Well, we're hoping for the best for the Mountaineers. I know it's tough right now, but things do get better, but just maybe not in the near term. We'll see how, how Neil Brown does, because I'm sure he's paying attention to who else is being let go. and. I think people start to feel other ADs, other, you know, athletic departments start to feel the pressure as other programs let go of head coaches and whether or not they they want to – because there is a benefit to letting go of your head coach if you really want to let the market know that you're available. And then if it gets too cluttered, suddenly you're competing against programs that might have a little more clout in the in the short term to pull a candidate that might be the one you were hoping to get. We've certainly seen that happen in, in coach carousels before. Well, everyone, we've been doing this now for a little bit over an hour and a half. It was kind of an improvised, kind of emergency Twitter space to talk about the head coaching changes with Wisconsin, Colorado, and and the others that are existing. I mean, we right now, there's six FBS programs with head coaching vacancies. UAB came into the season that way. They're sort of operating on an interim head coach basis, although it looks like they'll be looking to hire someone probably other than who they're running with now. Arizona State's obviously open. Colorado just came open. Georgia Tech. And then Nebraska and Wisconsin are going to be the two biggest programs right now that are open. And I think, as we said at the beginning of this show, Brian Harson's still at Auburn. So we'll see how that one goes as well and if that one opens up. And it should be said, Paul Christ, I would not be shocked if he gets hired somewhere as a head coach. Maybe a smaller program or even another P5 program that's willing to take that level of success that he was bringing to Wisconsin before they decided to finally pull the plug. So I think many of these head coaches we brought up will come up again if at different – I mean, Carl Durrell. I think a lot of people were shocked when Colorado hired him. I know I was uh, after how he did at UCLA. So the, the, these guys could all come back. We'll just see how the uh, how the, the coaching carousel goes as we head into the rest of this season. So thank you all for joining us. On behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of my co-host, J.D. Moore, and serious. We always enjoy hearing from you. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Now, I'm hang up and listen.